0: Uh, If someone can please kindly give me a mic check and a sound check, just to make sure that it's uh, okay. Everything's streaming okay, please. That would be greatly appreciated. If you can just type into the comments, let me know. Uh, That would be appreciated. Because as you can see, I'm in a different setup from where I would normally be, so I'm not quite sure. Um, Okay, saakallah khair. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخيرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدًا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك العبدك ورسولِكَ محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another lesson of Quranic Progression and ta'ala today we're going to continue with our تفسير of Surah Al-Anshikaq And last week, in last week's lesson, we covered verses 18 and 19 of Surah Al-Shiqaq. And verses 18 and 19 were also linked to the previous two verses that we covered in the lesson before that, uh, verses 16 and 17, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes a number of oaths. So we mentioned that Allah azza wa jal, at the beginning of the surah, after speaking about yawm al-qiyamah, how things will change on that day in terms of the heavens and the earth, And the different things, the transformations that Allah Azza wa will decree upon that day, the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they mentioned that there will be two groups of people. Those who will receive their record of deeds in their right hand. They are the people that will be joyous. They will will be the ones who will be happy and rejoice. And they are the ones that Allah Azza wa will honor on yawm al-qiyamah. And then you have the other group of people, those who receive their record of deeds behind their back. And those are the ones who will call out for their own destruction. Those are the ones who will be humiliated on that day. And they are the people of the fire. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning those two groups of people, Allah takes a number of oaths, three oaths in verses 16, 17, and 18. Allah takes an oath by the shafaq, as we said, which is that redness in the sky that, that appears in after sunset. You see a redness in the sky that is called the shafaq. So Allah Azawajal takes an oath by that. That's according to one of the two positions amongst the scholars of Tafsir. But I'm just summarizing what we've already covered in detail. So you can go back to those lessons, inshallah, if you want to know the details of who said what and what the different scholars of Tafsir said and the different positions that they had concerning the meaning of some of these words. But to summarize, Allah Azawajal takes an oath by the redness of the sky that takes place after sunset. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by the night, as it envelops, as it covers everything, the night and everything that it entails. And then Allah Azza wa in verse 18 that we covered last week, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala took an oath by the moon when it becomes full and complete. So those are the three things that Allah Azza wa takes an oath by: by the redness of the sky, by the uh, by the full night, and by the full moon. And we mentioned last week the positions or some of the statements of the scholars of tafsir as to the significance of those three things or these three things that allah takes an oath by and we mentioned that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or one of the one of the uh, issues or one of the points that the scholars mentioned is that just as allah speaks about the night that follows the day and the changes that come then likewise the night or the coming of yawm al-qiyamah advents or is the beginning of the dawn of the next life it's the dawn of the Akhirah, and so in many ways that is similar in terms of the changes that take place on a daily basis that we see from the day to the night and the night to the day how allah جل, transforms things and how that's something that we see as a sign each and every single day each and every single night then the one who has the power and the ability to make those changes occur every single day every single night then likewise he has subhanahu wa ta'ala the ability to make those changes of yawm al also take place and that's because as we said in the previous lessons that the disbelievers of Quraysh and others, those people who rejected Islam, one of the biggest issues and elements that they had, and one of the main reasons and justifications of their rejection was their rejection of the Akhirah, their rejection of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, their rejection of an afterlife. So even some of those people used to accept certain things, as we know, from amongst the, uh, from amongst the Quraysh, and from amongst the Arabs, they would accept certain things. For example, they may even accept Allah Azza wa they may accept an element of prophethood, but many of them, if not most of them, if not all of them, would reject that aspect of the akhirah. And Allah Azawajal relates this to us in the Quran in many verses, in many occasions. Is it that when we will die and our bones will become dust, we will become bones and dust, that Allah Azawajal will then cause us to be resurrected? So they would reject this. And this wasn't just something specific to the Quraysh at the time of the Prophet but it is something that goes back all the way. The very earliest nations and the very, very earliest prophets and messengers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent. And so, this is what Allah therefore takes an oath for to show that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the power and the ability, jalla fi as He has shown us through the signs that we see on a daily basis. Allah has the power and the authority and the ability to bring about Yawmul Qiyamah with the many transformations and the many changes that it will bring. And then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Tabaqan an tabaq. We mentioned that there are two qiraat in this verse which is like the Jawab al Qasim, and that is that Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. it is read in two different ways, two different qiraat. The one that we read in, which is the reading of the majority six of the ten qurah, la tabaqan an tabaq, and then the other reading is with the fatha on the ba La tabaqan An which is the reading of the other four Ibn kathir Hamza, Al Kisa'i, and al Ashir. And we said that one of the differences in the meaning between the two verses is that the one with the fatha, it is the position of a number of the scholars of tafsir, as Al Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah and others mentioned, that it's referring specifically to the Prophet sallallahu that you, O Muhammad, you are going to see this change upon change, or that you will go through these, uh, you will go uh, through, or you will progress from stage to stage. And they said... That it's specifically referring to the Prophet وسلم, and then they amongst themselves they had different positions and statements concerning exactly what it's referring to. So it's referring to the different stages of the life of the Prophet وسلم, from prophethood, the different challenges and stages that he would go through that his life and his his prophethood would progress through up until his death. sallam. Others said that it's referring to the Isra and the Mi'raj, the night journey. And how we would progress from stage to stage meaning from level to level or heaven to heaven as the prophet sallallahu did as is well known and accounted in the sunnah another said that it's referring to the Akhirah itself the different stages of the Akhirah, of how the heavens will change and how the the skies will be rent asunder and, and and those different changes that will take place in the heavens those stages that it will progress through until Al qiyamah is fully established so those Scholars they said that the tafsir, primarily first and foremost, the verse is referring to our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the progression that he will go through from stage to stage, and those who read it with the dhamma, which is the reading of the majority, An they said that it's referring to people in general, referring to mankind in general, that all of us progress from stage to stage in the dunya we progress to the Uh, to our death, to the grave, and then to the akhirah, or it may be even the stages of the dunya, that you go from ease to difficulty, from difficulty to ease, from poverty to wealth, from wealth to poverty, from health to sickness, and sickness to health, and all of those different things that a person goes through in the stages of their life. So that's a brief summary of what we've covered so far, not only of the surah, but in particular what we covered last week. And so we continue today from verse number twenty. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَمَا So why do they not then believe? And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Haleem. Why do they not then believe? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning the previous verses and these previous signs that we see from the beginning of the surah. So from the very beginning of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us signs concerning Yawm al-Qiyamah. Whether that be the changes that we will see in the heavens and the earth, whether it may be other things, but Allah Azza wa is going through a number of signs that will take place, a number of changes. And then the oaths that Allah Azza wa takes, as we mentioned in those previous verses, 16, 17, 18, 19, these are all oaths that Allah Azza wa takes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning all of this, he says, فَمَا لَهُمْ لَا يؤمنون. So why do they not then believe? Meaning, why don't they believe in Islam? Why don't they believe in the Quran? Why don't they believe in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Why don't they believe in al Qiyamah? Why don't they believe in all of this after we have given them so many signs and sent to them so many messages and shown to them so many different things that show and prove, number one, that Allah Azza wa Jalla Himself alone is worthy of worship. And number two, that there will be a Qiyamah, that there will be a resurrection and a judgment and an accounting where everyone will stand before Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and account for their deeds. And so Allah Azza asks this almost rhetorical question. What excuse do they have? What reason do they have not to believe? Allah Azza Wajal gave to them signs. And Allah sent to them verses and revelation. And Allah sent to them prophets and messengers. So what more is there that they need? And those prophets and messengers brought miracles to show that they were upon the truth. So what more do they need in terms of belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What more do they need in terms of of being or having to be convinced. And that's why Ibn Zayd, Abdur Rahman Ibn Zayd, Ibn Aslam Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said, لَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ So why do they not believe meaning in this particular speech, meaning the Quran, in this particular affair, which is that which Allah Azza wa has given within the Quran. What reason do they have not to believe? And as we've said previously in, in many different lessons, now many different verses that we've covered so far in the tafsir of the Quran, this shows that, again, that point that we've made before, that if a person's heart is sealed, they're heedless to the reminder, to guidance, to the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it doesn't matter what sign comes to them. It doesn't matter what Allah Jal shows to them. Those people will never believe. And we, we, as we mentioned before, there are numerous examples of this in the Quran, in the previous nations, not least of which the story of Pharaoh, but even in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Quraysh and the many signs that they were given. Allah gave to them signs, but they refused to accept those signs and believe in those signs. Whereas other people would hear the recitation of the Qur'an once, they would hear it simply being read a few verses, a passage, a surah, and it was enough for Iman to settle within their hearts. Other people, no, they used to hear the Qur'an all the time because there's narrations within the uh, books of history that, for example, Abu Jahl used to listen to the Qur'an often and other leaders of Quraysh that died upon their disbelief, they used to listen to the Qur'an often, and they were mesmerized by its beauty. They were amazed by the Qur'an, and by its eloquence, and by its Arabic, and by the message that it brought. But despite listening to the Qur'an and hearing the Qur'an, because their hearts had become hard and sealed from accepting any guidance, they could appreciate it at a surface level. They could understand this beauty there, they could understand this eloquence there, but when it came to belief, within the Qur'an, or believing the Qur'an, believing in the Qur'an, they couldn't accept the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They couldn't accept what Allah azza wa gave to them of that message. Whereas other people, all they had to do was hear a simple word of the Qur'an, and it was enough for them. <coughs> Al-Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that Allah azza wa says in this verse, Why do they not then believe? He says it's as if Allah azza wa is saying what is wrong with these non-believers who don't believe and accept the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they don't accept resurrection after death, the afterlife. Allah azza wa jal, despite the many vows that he took, the many oaths that he took within this surah, and that they will pass from stage to stage. They will pass from stage to stage. Because as we said, one of the tafsirs of this verse is that Allah azza wa is referring to the stages of a person's uh, progression throughout their life and towards the akhirah. And uh, that's also the position, as we mentioned last week, Ibn Qayyim said something similar, right? He said that people begin as a drop of sperm, then they ch- turn into a morsel of, of, of flesh, then they turn, and, they, and the different levels of progression within the womb, then they're born, then they're children, then they grow up, and they become young children, and then they grow up into adulthood, and they become or they grow into youths, and then they become adults, and so on, all of these different stages that they place during a person's life. So Allah Azza wa Jalla, Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala is saying that Allah Azza wa Jalla makes, takes this oath that people will surely go through these levels and these stages throughout their life. And despite this, they turn away. Despite what they can see clearly with their own eyes, clearly what they experience, uh, they see all of this going on and they still turn away from the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so from the greatest lessons that we can take therefore from this particular surah, is the lessons that allah Azzawajal shows to us or the different signs that allah Azzawajal shows to us about that progression and from those greatest lessons is the lesson of death how often are we surrounded by death and we see death not least in the time that we live in may allah Azzawajal keep us safe and our brothers and sisters the destruction of the muslims and the and the difficulties that they're going through across the world and the many many challenges that they're facing in terms of their lives and their safety and the blood that is being spilt indiscriminately that's a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us that we should bear in mind we should concentrate we should focus upon the ultimate ending and no one knows how the ending will come for some people it's in the most difficult of ways may Allah keep us safe but for other people it may be that they die upon uh, in their sleep upon their beds other people go through illnesses other people are involved in one type of an accident or some type of an issue or an event that takes place that also takes away their life How many people die and pass away each and every single day? And at the same time, how many people are born into this dunya every single day? And that is the cycle of life. Me and you, we are part of that cycle also. And so when a person focuses on the different stages that they're going through, how quickly those stages are passed by. Even if you were to take the full cycle of life, for example, you were to live to the ripe old age of 80 or 90, you would take and f- and take out that full, you know, what we call the average lifespan that people have. You live till your 70s. You live till your 80s. Even the stages, then, how quickly they pass through. How many of us now, within our mid, uh, you know, like in midlife, how many of us can remember when we were young, when we were children? When we were youths, when we used to go to school, when we were at university, days before we were married, or even one, once we got married but without children, when we had children, those children were very young. And now those children are older. And some of us are older, to, old, old enough to the extent that our children are not married. Some of us are grandparents, they have grandchildren of their own. How quickly that time passes by. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, tabaqan an tabaq. You will pass. Through and progress through stage after stage. How quickly those stages come. How quickly that time passes by. And how heedless we are of how quickly that time passes by. How little time we have in order to prepare for the akhirah, for that standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why this is mentioned in the Mus'ad of Muhammad, Rahimahullah ta'ala, the hadith of Jabir, radiyallahu that one day the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa passed by Jabir, and Jabir was fixing his house. And in those old days, as we know, the houses were made of mud, they were made of, of straw, and so they required constant maintenance, because once the once the mud becomes old and it becomes dry, it cracks, and the house becomes feeble. So they have to put fresh mud, fresh straw, each and every single time, every couple of years, or whatever it may be, in order to keep the strength of that house. So the Prophet وسلم, passed by Jabir one day, and he was doing this to his house, he was fixing, maintaining his house. So he said, oh, Messenger of Allah, uh, the Prophet said to him, oh, Jabir, what are you doing? And Jabir said, oh, Messenger of Allah, I'm fixing my house, something that we all have to do, we have to fix our dwellings, just as we do today as well. You fix your house, you refurbish your house, there's a problem with your house, you have a problem with your plumbing, your electricity, you have a problem with something in your home, so you have to keep it maintained, you have to keep fixing it. Jabir was doing something very similar, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, I think that our affair will be quicker than this, meaning that I don't think we're going to live long enough to be worried about such things. We don't need to worry about these things because we won't live long enough. And the Prophet ﷺ is giving to him a principle. He's not saying to him, Don't fix your house. He didn't say to him, Stop doing what you're doing. He's just telling him, Yeah, fix your house, but also be conscious. That you're not going to live perhaps long enough for you to, to live in that house for such a long time that you're going to benefit from in the way that people think when they do their projects in their houses and so on. They think that they're going to live for 30, 40, 50 years. You don't know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has store for me and for you. And so that time, it is precious. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, lahum la yu'minun. Why don't they believe? Why don't they turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And so therefore one of the things that the quran does and it does constantly is always tell us to focus on the signs that remind us of this reality of the akhirah of the turning back to allah returning back to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's what then the mu'min the believer has to do each and every single day they have to find that thing that reminds them of allah azza wa jal, helps them to focus helps them to realign their priorities, helps them to remember that they have a greater goal and objective in the dunya. That's something that you have to constantly do in terms of remembering and reminding yourself of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's something which Allah azza wa says here concerning those non-believers, What excuse do they have not to believe in that which Allah azza wa Jal has sent to them? As Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala also said, what is it that stops them from believing in Allah, believing in His Messenger, believing in the last day in Yawm Al-Qiyamah? And so the only answer to that question is that they don't have the sincerity and the purity in their hearts that would allow them to accept the message of Iman, the message of Tawheed, to believe in the Prophet and in Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And as a result of that lack of sincerity, their lack of purity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withheld from them Guidance, And Imam Al-Qurtubi, he said something similar. He said after Allah made made plain all of these different signs and all of these different ayat, all of these different evidences, what then prevents them from accepting iman. And he said, This is a rebuking question, a question of rebuke. Because Allah asks the question, but it's not a question that they need to answer. Allah is rebuking them. that reason in in that question what excuse do you have what reason do you have meaning that there is no reason that there is no excuse that there is nothing possibly that you can say that would justify your stance of disbelief and he said another scholar said that the question here in this verse why do they not believe it is done out of amazement meaning that Allah is saying that it is surprising it is amazing that despite all of the signs that Allah sent, all of the prophets, all of the messengers, all of the revelation that Allah gave to people, they still won't believe. wa it is said, some of the scholars said that this question is done as a question of amazement. But the meaning is very similar. Meaning in both ways, it is a rebuke to those people. Allah is rebuking those people for not believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for not having Iman in Allah Azza wa jalla. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 21, Allah Azza wa Jal then says, Do they not prostrate when the Quran is read to them? Why don't they do so? And when the Quran is not is read upon them or read to them, they don't prostrate. They don't make sajda. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is as we said before, <clears throat> look at the these two verses, verse 20 and 21. How we spoke about those people. Who when despite seeing every single sign that Allah sends, every single miracle that's given to the Prophets that Allah sends to them, they don't believe, they have no iman. And then on the other hand, you have those people who can hear a verse of the Quran and it's enough for them to accept Islam, enough for them to accept Iman. And this is one of the reasons why the Prophet, وسلم, if he wanted to call people to Islam, he would simply read to them the Quran. And there are numerous narrations as we know in the sunnah in which this is reported, that he would simply read the Quran and it would be enough for those people that are sincere that Quran is enough for them to accept Islam. And this is something which the companions then also understood and they did very similar. You want to understand? If this person has some purity in their heart, some sincerity, read to them the Quran. And the Quran is amazing because as we know, it's all blessing and all guidance and all mercy and light from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you have the Prophet doing this, you have the companions doing this. The Prophet, as is mentioned in the hadith of Jubair ibn Mut'im, he said that I was one of those people that was a prisoner of war on the day of Badr, meaning he was on the Quraysh side. And he was one of the prisoners of war that was taken on that day. And he said, The Prophet, I heard him, and this is before he's a Muslim, I heard him recite or read or lead the companions in Salatul Maghrib, the Maghrib prayer, and he recited Surah Al recited Surah at tur And he said that when I heard these verses of Surah at tur Iman entered into my heart. Allah Azzawajal says, Am Were they created from nothing, or are they themselves the creators? Am or are they the ones who created the heavens and the earth? Rather they have no certainty. He said when I heard these verses being recited, Iman first entered into my heart. And he would then go back, and it would take him some time, but he would eventually, as we know, become a Muslim and a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We have the story of Abu Walid, one of the chieftains of Quraysh, who, when he came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he's the one who made those uh, proposals to the Prophet sallallahu and he said, "Oh Muhammad, if you want wealth, we'll give you money. If you want power, we'll make you powerful. If you want fame, we'll give you fame. If you want women, we'll marry you to our women. Whatever you want, take it. Ask for it." but just stop preaching or religion. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam then responded by reciting Surah Fussilat to him. Hamim Tanzeelun Minar Rahmanir rahim Kitabun Fussilat Ayatuhu Qur'anan Arabiyyan Liqawmi Ya'lamun Bashiran wa Nadheera Fa'arada Aktharum Fahum La Yismaun He started to recite the opening passages of Surah Fussilat until he reached the verses in that opening passage of the punishment that Allah Azza wa Jal sent upon Adan Thamud. And when Abu Walid heard this, He said, enough, O Muhammad, enough, don't read anymore. And he became afraid because the Arabs were aware and familiar of these tribes of Ad and Thamud, because they were Arab tribes, as we mentioned before. And so he had heard, oh, the Arabs were familiar of their stories and their destruction. And so he feared that a similar punishment would come upon him and upon his people. So he said to the Prophet ﷺ, enough. And there are different narrations like this that you will find the power of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it is read. And if that is the impact that it can have upon a non-believer, a non-Muslim, who doesn't accept the Qur'an, doesn't believe in the Prophet sallallahu then what about the impact that it can have upon the believer and the believing heart if the believer just takes some time just to read and to contemplate and to understand and to learn the tafsir as we do with QP. Yes, take one or two verses a week and you learn and you understand and you do your utmost to reflect and contemplate on those verses and Allah Azza wa Jal opens up your heart and Allah Azza wa fills you with Iman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthens, strengthens your connection with his book because that is the barakah and the blessing of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the companions, they understood this because they saw this from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You have those hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sometimes in his khutbatul jumuah all he would do was read Qur'an as it mentioned by some of the companions that they said that we memorize Surah Qaf just from the khutbah of the Prophet Sallallahu because of how often he would recite it in his Jum'ah khutbah. His khutbah is Quran, just reading verses of the Quran. And it's amazing because Surah Qaf is a surah as inshallah ta'ala when we come to that surah we will see. It's a surah that speaks also about human Qiyamah and it speaks about resurrection and it speaks about judgment and accounting and so on. And so enough, sometimes it's enough just to read that surah that reminds you of Allah Azza wa reminds you of the Akhirah, reminds you of the Hereafter, that's enough sometimes in order for a person to to strengthen their Iman, to be reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the companions understood this. Umar radiallahu an. how does he become Muslim? It's when he goes to the house of his sister and his brother-in-law, and he hears them reading Quran, and he wants to hear the words that they've been reciting. So they're reading from Surah Taha, and they're reading those verses, and Iman settles in his heart. Because he was a man of sincerity, a man of purity, purity of his heart. And Allah gave to him iman. Just from hearing the Quran didn't require anything else. And he was aware of Islam before. Like how often he tortured the companions. How often he hurt the companions. How often he abused and ridiculed and mocked the Muslims. All he needed was someone to sit down for him to just spend some time listening to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when he heard those verses of Surah Taha, he accepted Islam. Look at how those companions, when they migrated to Abyssinia, and Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu an, who was their spokesperson when they came to their leader, and najashi and he said to them, tell me about your religion, because the Quraysh had also sent a delegation, and the delegation had said to a najashi these people are enemies not only to us and our gods and our religion, they're enemies to you as well, enemies of the Christians, enemies of Isa and Maryam. And so when najashi said to Ja'far, what is your religion? So all he did was read to him from Surah Maryam, read to him the story and the verses of Maryam and the stories and the verses of Isa was salam, and that was enough for Najashi. Not only did he allow them to stay and give them asylum, but he accepted Islam as we well know that he himself became a Muslim, And so this is the beauty of the Quran. And so Allah jalla, in this verse he says Why then when the Quran is recited to them do they not prostrate? Because the Qur'an should have an impact upon your heart. Yes, this verse is speaking about the non-believers, speaking about the non-Muslims and the enemies of Islam and the Quraysh, and how they didn't really respond to the book of Allah, Azzawajal. they didn't listen and so on and so forth. But within it, there is also a message and a lesson and a principle for the Muslims. And that is that we should also be people of the Qur'an, people of contemplation, people of understanding, people of tafsir. That when the Qur'an is recited, it humbles us. And it strengthens us and increases us in Iman. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, that the believers are those people who, when the verses of the Quran are recited to them, it increases them in Iman. How does it increase them in Iman? Because they understand and they take the time to reflect and contemplate, they take the time to learn and to study the verses of the Quran and the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah loves those people. It impacts them so that when the Qur'an touches their hearts, they will prostrate at times in the Qur'an when Allah commands them to prostrate. They won't be too arrogant not to prostrate. They will fall into prostration as Allah commands. Because those people who don't do so, that's from the signs of disbelief. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, for example, in that verse in Surah Al-Mursarat, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا يَرْكَعُونَ when it is said to them, bow, they refuse to do so. Told to prostrate, they refuse to do so. And that is why on Al Qiyamah, those people won't be able to prostrate. They won't be able to, to bow. For example, the hypocrites from this Ummah who didn't worship Allah جل, who didn't bow and prostrate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On Qiyamah, they will be unable to do so. Allah will make their backs like a a sheet of, of copper or iron or metal. And so they won't be able to bend their backs into bowing, into ruku' or to prostration, into sujood. And that is because of the arrogance that they had in the dunya. So Allah Azza wa in this verse, as Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, When the Quran is read or recited to them, they do not prostrate. Meaning, as Imam Al-Tabari says, that what he means here by prostration is that they don't humble themselves to the Quran, and they don't believe in it, and they don't accept it. Or rather, what they do is that they reject it. And he said, and that is because the meaning of sajda in the Arabic language has a number of meanings, the word sajda or prostration. From the meanings of sajda is the physical prostration that we do, right? which is the physical sajda, the prostration that we do. That's one meaning of sajda. But from the meanings of sajda also is acceptance. To accept and to humble yourself to something, that is also the meaning of, of sujood. And so this is what it means, that they don't prostrate, meaning that they don't accept the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the other prostration comes as a result of the first prostration, meaning acceptance. Someone who doesn't accept the Qur'an isn't going to prostrate for the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And someone who does accept the book of Allah azza wa as being the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and guidance from him, then when Allah azza wa commands them to prostrate, they will do so. When Allah azza wa commands them to make sajda, they will also do so. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah <clears> ta'ala, <throat> he said, and what he means here by the reading of the Qur'an, when the Qur'an is read to them, it means the reading of da'wah, the reading of conveying the message. Because these people, as the Qur'an is being recited to them, it is to convey the message to them that these are the people that should accept the Qur'an. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he says, Ibn Ashur rahimahullah <clears> ta'ala, <throat> he says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to always, as we said before, always present the Qur'an to people, whether they were groups or whether they were individuals. He would read the Qur'an to them, and he would recite to them. He would give them the message of the Qur'an. And he would do it to groups, he would do it to individuals. So we saw uh, examples of individuals in the story of Abu Walid. And other people that came to the Prophet, and there were a number of them, especially in the Meccan period, and they would come and they would say, What is your religion? And the Prophet would read the Quran to them. And he would also do to groups. And it's mentioned in the hadith that the Prophet, when he first arrived in Medina, one of the things that he would like to do is he would like to go to the different sittings of the Ansar, because the Ansar used to sit amongst their little tribes and groups in different places in Medina. In Mecca they used to have the Kaaba, that's where they reside, that's where they chill that's where they hold their gatherings. But Medina doesn't have a Kaaba like that, so people are dispersed. So the Prophet will sometimes ride to the different places where the people are sitting on the Ansar, and he would recite Quran to them. And there's a narration that the Prophet once came to a group of the Ansar. Amongst them were hypocrites, amongst them were Muslims. And from amongst the hypocrites was Abdullah ibn Ubay, the leader of the hypocrites. So the Prophet came... And he and he started to recite Quran to them. So the Prophet ﷺ recited Quran and Abdullah ibn Ubay said, Oh Muhammad, what you say is good. What you say is good. But don't come to us. Welcome to you if you want to listen to it, because all you bring with you is dust. Meaning because the Prophet used to ride on his camel or his mule or whatever it was. Obviously, Medina, Mecca, Arabia generally is desert. So it's going to make dust as the animal rides. He says, so all you do is you bring dust with you because you ride and all you do is bring the dust from the hooves of the animals that you're riding upon. And so all you're doing is bringing us dust. If we want to come to you, well, come. But you don't need to come to us. And others then from the companions, the believers said, no, Messenger of Allah, come. We love it when you come and read Quran. And so they began to dispute with one another. Fight one another. So the Prophet ﷺ calmed them all down and then he left. And in some narrations he went then to Sa'adi bin Ubadah who was one of the leaders of the Ansar. And he said to him, Don't you see what your what your man is saying, meaning Abdullah bin Ubayd this is what he said to me. He said, Oh Messenger of Allah, ignore him, leave him. Because this was a man who before you came, he had a position of responsibility and power amongst us. And now that you've come, he has no position. And so he feels that in his heart. He feels that pain in his heart that he's no longer anyone worthy of notice and obviously as we know he was one of the uh, one of the leaders of of Quraysh one of the leaders uh, sorry one of the leaders of the Munafiqeen of the hypocrites in Medina so Ibn Ashur he says that the sujood that is being referred to here therefore as the reading is the reading of tabliq and da'wah why don't you read the Qur'an to them meaning not to the believers to these people who have yet to believe so that it's, it's establishing the evidence upon them, the proof upon them. They're listening to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why don't you read the Quran to them? And the sujood, Meaning, why don't they accept? Why don't they, the prostration meaning, why don't they humble themselves, accept what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning here? And so the translation of, and I don't unfortunately today have available to me the other translations. Uh, maybe someone can type in the chat if, Mufti Taqi or or Mohsen Khan, or Sahih International, one of the other translations, has given us a different translation other than the one that Professor Abdul Harim has. It will be interesting to see if someone uh, used the wording of um, you know of of, of of acceptance or humble yourself as opposed to just using the wording of sajda yeah, in terms of in terms of their um, in terms of what they have. But either way, uh, the meaning, as we said, is acceptance. Because that acceptance is required it's a prerequisite for the sajda, which is the physical act of sujud, the physical act of, of sujood. Uh, because obviously someone who doesn't accept the Qur'an is going to prostrate for it. And someone who does accept will then prostrate when the command of Allah Jalla comes. And it is because of this, therefore, that this is one of the surahs, this sajda in particular, is one of the sajdas that the scholars of fiqh differed over. Is it one of the sajdas of the Qur'an or not? And as we mentioned before, when we went through Surah Al-Alaq, so you can go back, inshallah ta'ala, to Surah Al-Alaq, which was the first sajda in the Qur'an that we came across, we know that there's a difference of opinion. So the sajdas that you have now in the Mus'haf, or in most Mus'hafs and Qur'ans, are 15, 15 sajdas that you have throughout the Book of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But there is a difference of opinion among some of the scholars concerning some of them, concerning some of them. And the differences of opinion occur. In the sajda, the second sajda of Surah al-Hajj, because Surah al-Hajj has two sajdas, the sajda of Surah Sad, and the three final sajdas of the Quran, which is the sajdas of Surah al-Najm, Surah al which is this one, and Surah al These five, there's a difference of opinion over. The other ten are by ijma', they are consensus by consensus of the scholars of fiqh that they are verses of sajda. So, for example, this particular verse. In Surah Al-Inshiqaq, Imam Malik said it's not a verse of sajda. And he's basing it based upon this tafsir, that Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying to these people, why when the Quran is being read to you as an invitation to accept Islam, you don't submit to it. So he says the meaning of the sajda here isn't sajda, as in prostration, its acceptance is to humble yourself, it is to follow the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what it contains of guidance. It's not referring to the actual sajda. And so he was out of that position. Another scholars differed. They said, no, even though that may be the initial meaning, but no doubt if those people accept it, then they're also going to make the sajda. And so it's an example of the believers and their iman that when Allah tells them or recites the Quran to them and they're commanded to make sajda and prostration, they do so as a sign of their iman, as a sign of their acceptance. So this is one of those verses in which there is a difference of opinion, as we said, amongst the scholars of fiqh. So Imam Malik ta'ala, said that there is not a sajda in this verse. And as far as I know, the other Imams, Abu Hanifa, and Ahmad, ta'ala, they were of the position that there is a sajda in this particular verse, and Allah Jalla knows best. But also this verse is used for another issue on the same, the same kind of topic, but a different issue, and that is, that, is the sajda obligatory, the sajda to tilawah? So if you're reading the Qur'an and you come across a verse of prostration, or you're attentively listening to someone read and they come across a verse of prostration, because the scholars say that if you're not attentively listening, meaning someone's reading Qur'an but you're not really listening and focusing and they come across a prostration verse, they should prostrate. But you don't have to prostrate. But if you're reading or you're attentively listening, like in the salah, the Imam is the one reading, you're attentively listening. He comes across the verse of sajda he goes into sajda you follow him in sajda in sala so those two groups of people when you come across the sajda in the Quran is it obligatory to make the sajda or not this is an issue of difference of opinion amongst the scholars of fiqh those scholars have said that it is obligatory this was one of the evidences that they used this verse when the Quran is recited to them they don't accept or they don't make sajda those scholars said that this is the way of the disbelievers, the non-believers, this is what they do. So therefore the believers do what they do, the opposite, which shows therefore that it is wajib upon them that they make sajda. And this is the method of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah taala. Abu, Imam Abu Hanifa is of the position that the sajdas of the Quran are commands of Allah Azzawajan. The commands of Allah denote obligation. So therefore when Allah says prostrate in the Quran, you must do so, you don't have a choice. And from those scholars who also took this position was Ibn rahimahullah taala. Ibn Taymiyyah took the position, even though it's not the position, the, the standard or the default position of his madhab, which is the Hanbali madhab. They don't say they don't hold this position, but it is a riwayah. It's one of the narrations that we have within the madhab. And so Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, he took this position based upon that particular narration, that particular riwayah. So he supported the position of Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah ta'ala. the majority of the scholars, so Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmed, the majority of the scholars say, no, it's sunnah. The sajda is sunnah, and this verse isn't a verse of obligation because it's not even speaking about the believers, it's speaking about the disbelievers. And so you see sometimes, or often is the case that the same evidence, the same verse, the same hadith, is understood in two slightly different ways uh, by different scholars, and therefore they come with slightly different positions. Uh, and, and they have other evidences to show that it is sunnah, so for example, they used the, the narration of Umar anhu, the incident from his life, when sometimes he would come across verses of sujood when he was the Khalifa and he would recite, would come across verses of Sajd in the Quran and he would prostrate. And other times he would come across those same verses and he wouldn't prostrate. And when he was asked, he would say to show people that it's not obligatory. And this was done in the presence of many companions because Umar anhu, is the Khalifa, the vast majority of the companions are still alive and the major companions, The senior companions, the scholars, from amongst them are still living. And we don't know of anyone who differed with this position of Umar or who spoke out or who corrected him or said that that position is incorrect or no, Umar, your understanding is mistaken. So that shows that it is a position that the, the majority of the companions, if not all of them, that were living at that time accepted. But either way, this is a different discussion, but just to show you that this verse is used as an evidence by those scholars who hold the, the, the verse or the prostration of recitation To be wajib Which is the position as we said Of Imam Abu Hanifa ta'ala. In verse number 22 And this is the last verse that we'll take in today's lesson inshallah, ta'ala, Allah Azawajal then says No, the disbelievers reject the Quran Meaning why don't they accept As Allah says in, in two verses before Why don't they believe in the verse before, why don't they accept the verses of the Qur'an when they're recited to them? Allah Azza wa Jal answers in verse number 22 and He says, بَدِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا يُكَذِّبُونَ It is because the disbelievers reject the Qur'an. They reject the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As an Imam Ibn Jarir al tabari said, Allah Azza wa Jal says, بَدِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا يُكَذِّبُونَ بِأَيَاتِ اللَّهِ Rather, those who disbelieve, they reject the verses of Allah Azza wa Jal and the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says that Allah is showing in this verse that this is therefore from their character, from their personality, that these are people of rejection, no matter how many verses come, how many signs come, how many prophets are sent, how much of Allah's revelation comes, how many miracles are shown, it is from their sajiyyah, he says means sajiyyatihim, it is from their nature, it is from their disposition, at-takzeeb, that they reject And that they are people of arrogance and they're people who turn away from the truth. They turn away and oppose the truth. And so Allah Azawajal answers the questions himself. Why don't they believe? Why don't they make sujood? This is the reason why. They reject and they turn away and they oppose the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn Ashur says that it it is as if Allah Azawajal is again, as we said, Concerning the uh, verse As Imam Al-Qurtubi said That Allah Azzawajal is speaking in that verse He's rebuking them Asking a question with the rebuke Or he's speaking in terms of amazement And rebuking them in terms of their rejection Ibn Ashur says this is also similar to them And that is that Allah Azzawajal is speaking about how it is amazing that despite everything that Allah gave to them and sent to them, they will still turn away, they will reject, they will turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they continue to persist upon their disbelief, upon their rejection of the Qur'an, upon their rejection of the Prophet sallallahu And so it's as if all of these verses, these two or three verses that we took, verses 20, 21, and 22, are verses in which Allah is rebuking them by asking these questions. Why don't they believe? Why is it that they don't believe? Why is it that when the Qur'an is recited to them, they don't accept, they don't prostrate, they don't humble themselves to it, then Allah Azza wa responds and He says, It is because of their rejection, because of their disbelief. And so it is because their hearts have become sealed, because of their disbelief and their rejection, that everything therefore was turned, or everything that was given to them, they turned away from it, and they chose the path of disbelief over the path of Iman. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we come to the end of today's lesson. Barakallahu feekum. jazakumullah khairan. And inshallah, we conclude there for today. Wassallahu Alaihi Wasalam wa alaykum, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.